Well, good morning, Beamer Church and visitors. Got a number of kids here with us from the weekend. It's really good to have you guys here this morning as well. You guys, if you read my name tag, knew me this weekend as Dr. Filbert. Uh, it was not my uh, name of choice, but that's who I was for the weekend. And so um, I'm Phil Moser, and uh, we are just glad you guys are able to come and join us this week. And I also want to point out for any of our members that haven't realized this yet, that this morning we have Jay and Melissa Haynes with us. Uh, they're in the very back, and, and they are here from Hawaii. We uh, pray, pray for them and support them as they are part of a church plant there in Hawaii. And so they're going to hang out with us today. Uh, go to see them, say hi to them, introduce yourself, uh, ask how we can be praying for them, and just enjoy the blessing of having you guys with us today. It's really good to have you all with us. Well, I do just want to reiterate thanks to everybody who served this week in our Courageous Kids Camp. We have a number of uh, young uh, ladies from ABC, Anderson Bible Church, with us this morning. I'm sorry if there are any young men from ABC that aren't that I'm not pointing out. I think they're all ladies, though. So uh, thank you guys for coming and serving this weekend. Uh, it's been a great time of singing and learning the Bible, playing games, doing crafts. And, and I never thought I would say this, but uh, I found something that tops a traditional s'more, and that is a s'more with, with fudge-striped cookies on either side. It was just delicious, and, and yeah, amen, exactly. So it was a fun weekend. One thing that we uh, saw over the weekend, we saw one this morning as well at 9 o'clock, was a series of skits featuring someone named Kristoff uh, and his friends. So, so Christopher Heitch played Kristoff, and the thing was Kristoff's uh, a little bit of scaredy cat, right? He... Uh, they're going camping, and, and he's, you know, he's got his Germex, and he's got all the things he needs. And he's just scared of everything in the wilderness. And as they're going to sleep, he, he hears a scary sound, thinks it's Bigfoot, and, and he can't sleep. He tries everything he can to not be scared, but nothing's working. His friends can't sleep either because he's being so loud. And so finally they wake him up, and, and they read to him Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now in the skit, this verse is greatly encouraging to Christoph, and he went to sleep knowing that God is with me even here in the woods, and, and he didn't need to be afraid, and he went to sleep. And we even saw this morning that then he shared with his friends about how God is with them. They don't need to be afraid, they can be courageous. You know, I was thinking, what if when Christoph's friend read him Joshua 9, Christoph responded differently? What if... What if he said, listen, that sounds great, but God said that to a man named Joshua 3,000 years ago. What does that have to do with me? What would Christoph's friend have said? What would you say? What would you say to someone that says, that, that was a long time ago in a different place, that, 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 that doesn't have anything to do with me, that was a promise to Joshua? What would you say? Well, the truth is that that promise of Joshua 1.9, along with the whole book of Joshua, it is for us today. But at the same time, we do live in a very different time, in a very different place, and a very different situation than Joshua and the people of Israel. So this morning, we're going to begin a series through the book of Joshua. As I've begun to study this book, I've realized this, this book is planted in history in a way that, that makes it a little bit difficult to to figure out how does this apply to our lives today. And what we need to do is we need to carefully look at this book week by week, look at the text, and, and see what it meant to the original hearers of Joshua. What, why was this written to them? What was God saying to them? And once we understand that, then we'll be able to understand better how does this relate to us. 
How, how does this relate to the gospel itself, and then how does this relate to us today? Because this book is for us. This promise is for us, but we need to be careful to make sure we understand exactly how it's for us. And just, just to give an example, we're going to see today that God also says, I'm giving you this land, the land of the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, and, and go take it. Now, none of us is going to read that today and say, okay, let's, let's, Redeemer, let's all go over to Israel and take the land, Right? So why don't we take the land if we're going to say the promise is for us? We need to to understand why, right? And so all that to kind of preface this series, get us into this book, but but today especially as we open up the book of Joshua, we're going to take a little bit more time to to get our bearings in the Old Testament, to understand how this book picks up from the story that comes before it in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So you can open your Bible to Joshua 1. We're going to begin a new series through the book of Joshua this morning, and the title of this morning's sermon is, fittingly, from our camp, Be Strong and Courageous. The text this morning is Joshua 1, 1 through 9, and before we read the passage, let's pray one more time and ask God to bring illumination to His Word. Father, You tell us that all Scripture is breathed out by You. And it's written for our encouragement. It's written to show us who you are, specifically who you are in Jesus Christ. That through all your scripture, you equip us, you make us wise for salvation, you correct us, you you train us. And yet we admit that there are parts of your word that that truly seem confusing to us at times, and that and that sometimes it's hard to to know how to take the text from where it is to where we are today. And so as we begin the book of Joshua, Lord, we pray that you would bless not only this sermon, but this series. Father, we pray that you would help us to wisely handle your word, to handle it rightly, so that we we don't just pick and choose what we want to hear, but we really are submitting to the truth that you're revealing to us. Lord, we don't want to make this book mean whatever we want it to mean. We want to hear what you are saying to us through book of Joshua. We need this, Lord. We need your word. Lord, we come and we, we confess that this morning, this is not just an intellectual exercise for us to have more information in our minds, but that we come desperate, God. We come with fears. We come with sins. We come with doubts. We come with struggles. We come needing wisdom. We come needing help. And we pray, Lord, that you would provide these things for us through your word today. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. 
Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The book of Joshua begins at a pivotal moment in Israel's history. And you can see this in the first two verses. Let's read those again. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. This is a pivotal moment for Israel, and it's a pivotal moment for two reasons. First, this is a moment of transition in the leadership of Israel. The text begins with the blunt reality that Moses is dead. Moses is dead. Now to us, that might not seem like a huge deal because Moses has been dead for thousands of years. But imagine being an Israelite who experienced the leadership of Moses when he died. This is is Moses, the, the one who delivered God's people out of Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. This is the one who parted the Red Sea. This is the one who received the law on Mount Sinai. The one who interceded for the people after they fell into the idolatry of worshiping the golden calf. This is the one who beheld the glory of God. The one who spoke with God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. If you turn back in your Bible one page to the end of Deuteronomy, you can see the stature of Moses in Israel. In verses 10 through 12 of Deuteronomy 34, this this is what the stature of Moses was. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. None like him. None like Moses. Moses was the deliverer of God's people. Moses was the mediator between God and Israel. Moses was the leader of this nation, and now he is dead. And now his longtime assistant Joshua is being called to be the new leader of God's people. This is a major moment of transition for Israel. But on top of the fact that Moses has died... And now Joshua is the new leader of his people. This is also a pivotal moment for Israel because they are finally going to enter the promised land. Think about this for Joshua. He's not coming into just a nice, easy transition of leadership where there's really nothing going on and he can just kind of get used to being the leader. No, immediately, Moses dead, Joshua arise and go into the land. Now, we might picture the promised land as being just a nice open field with with flowers and milk and honey, right? But, but when, when he says go into the land, he's saying go into enemy territory. There's people in the land. There are enemies in the land. They don't want Israel to take the land that God has promised them. So he's saying go into enemy territory and fight 
the battles that I will lead you to fight for, for the land that I've given to you. Now, the book of Joshua is really all about taking the land. The, the book of Joshua is all about Israel coming into the land that God had promised them. That, that's what the whole story covers. And so to understand Joshua as a whole, we need to understand the significance of this land in the story of Israel. So hold your place in Joshua, but turn back with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Now in Genesis 1 through 11, we learn a few things that kind of set up the story for us in Genesis 12. We learn that God is the creator of the world, and that he created a good world where mankind would have perfect communion with him and with each other. But we also learn that sin and death entered the world through the first man and the woman, Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit of the tree in the garden after being tempted by the serpent. Sin entered in, and and the creation itself was cursed, and they were cursed. And and then from there, in Genesis 1-11, through essentially we see that each generation we find is just as sinful as Adam and Eve were. Each generation fails. Time and time again, sin enters the picture and distorts what God is doing. And so the overall picture of the opening chapters of the Bible is that God's good world is broken by sin. We, we even prayed about this today. We, we, we live in a sin-broken world, right? And, and at the end of Genesis 11, there's, there's no hope for sinful humanity unless God intervenes. Those first 11 chapters essentially show us that, that unless God does something, humans are never going to figure this out. We, we, are, we are broken in sin. And, and, and so Genesis 12 shows, after that bleak picture of what sinful man has done in God's good world, Genesis 12 shows that God does intervene. By his grace, he chooses a man named Abram, who, who, who was just another idolater at the time. There was nothing special about Abram, but God, God calls him and he chooses him and he makes him a promise. Listen to the story in Genesis 12, 1 through 7. And listen for the land in this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So church, notice a few things about this story. First, God calls Abram to leave his own land and to go into a new land. And when Abram goes, the Lord promises him, to your offspring I will give this land. This is where the whole idea of a promised land begins. God made a promise in this chapter that he's going to give Abram and his descendants this land. But second, God tells Abraham that he's going to make him into a great nation. Abram will be the father of of a blessed people. We all know the song, right? Father Abraham, many sons, many sons of Father Abraham, right? Like he's going to be the father of a great nation. 
But third and most importantly, why is God doing this? Why, why is God choosing this man named Abram, saying, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to put you in your own land. Why is he doing this? He says, so that you will be a blessing. So that you will be a blessing. He says, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is so important to see. The whole purpose of calling Abram, the whole purpose of sending him into a new land, promising to make him a great nation, is to bless the sin-broken world of Genesis 1-11. through This is God launching redemptive history, so to speak. This is God choosing a man and saying, through you, I am going to bless the world. Bless the nations. Bless all the families of the earth. To bless this sinful Humanity that continues to rebel against God. So he's not calling Abram for Abram's sake. He's not giving Abram land for his descendants' sake, but it's for the world's sake. This is so important as we read Joshua because we're going to have to struggle in Joshua with the fact that in Joshua there is there is battles against the nations. We need to understand this. This is all part of God's plan to bless sinful humanity, to bless rebellious people who have turned away from Him. He's going to establish a new people and a new land, not for their own sake, but to bring blessing to all the peoples of the world. Okay, but of course, when Joshua begins, Abraham's descendants are not in the land, are they? No, they're, out, they're outside of the land looking in. So, so what happened between Genesis 12 and Joshua 1? Why aren't they in the land? Well, well look with me now just a few pages over in Genesis to Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis 15, it has been a number of years since God made his promise to Abram. Kids who are here, if someone made you a promise, said, said, okay, soon I'm going to take you to Disney World, right? It's a good promise, isn't it? I'm going to take you to Disney World soon. And then then a day passes, you're not going. A week passes, you're not going. A month passes, you still haven't gone to Disney World. You're going to begin to wonder, are they really going to take me? Are we really going? Because as I said that we were, but we're still not there. That's kind of what Abram's experiencing. God made him a promise, but nothing's happening. He said these great things are going to happen, but he doesn't have a son. He doesn't have land. He doesn't see this happening. So Abram is beginning to wonder, is God going to do this? He made me a promise. Is he going to be faithful to what he said? Well, look in Genesis 15, beginning in verse 5. This is God's response to Abram wondering. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So so you look at the stars in the sky and you realize we can never even count all these stars. And God says, That's what your offspring will be. That's the kind of family you're going to have. You're going to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But Abram said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. He did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain 
that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, will be servants there. They will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cabanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Okay, church, these verses are hugely important, not only to understanding the book of Joshua, but really the whole Old Testament. We cannot talk about every detail today, but let's notice a few things. God responds to Abram's fear by reassuring Abram that he will provide him with a son and offspring, and then that he will give his offspring the land, again, the promised land. But he tells him this is not going to happen immediately. He says, your descendants will be enslaved by another nation for 400 years and then I will deliver them back to this land. He tells them that ahead of time. And then God makes a covenant with Abram. Now, a covenant is, put it simply, a solemn and binding agreement between two parties. And it was common in this day and age when someone made a covenant with someone else for them to, to cut animals in half and to walk through the animals as they made the covenant. Now, why did they do that? They did that because as they walked through the animals, they were essentially saying, May this be what happens to me if I break this covenant. May I become like one of these animals if I break this covenant. And so God's making this covenant with Abraham and he's saying, Surely I will give your descendants this land. They will come back to this land. But notice something. The text tells us that a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the animals. Now this Smoking fire pot and flaming torch are symbols of the presence of God. It actually reminds us what we'll see later in Exodus when God went before Israel in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. We see a a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch and it passes through the animals. But Abram, does he pass through? No. No, Abram does not pass through. And what what this is, it's, it's a vivid way of God telling Abram, I am making this promise to you based solely on my character and my grace and my faithfulness alone. It is an awesome assurance to Abram of God's unbreakable promise. God saying, as surely as I live, I will not break this covenant with you. Well, of course, what God said would happen, happened. We know the story. He did give Abram a son, but by the end of Genesis, Abram's family, 70 people, goes down to Egypt during a famine, and and, and there they do grow into a great nation, but they also become a nation of slaves. They're slaves in Egypt for 400 years, just like God said they would be. And then after 400 years, God is faithful to his promise, and he sends Moses to deliver them from Egypt. And to make a long, good story short, after being led out of Egypt and the wilderness for 40 years, Israel is now back at the borders of the promised land. And here in Joshua, God is commanding them to enter in. So the book of Joshua is all about the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. And how, remember, the, the land itself is not the point. The land is where this nation will be established, and through this nation, God will bless the nations. 
by blessing this people in this land. God is going to work to redeem sinful humanity, the sin-broken world. And so that's, that's what Joshua is all about, is Israel taking this land that God had given to them as God furthers his project of, of redeeming humanity. So that's where we are in the Bible. A new leader leading Israel into the promised land. And you know what? Joshua was scared stiff. Joshua was afraid. It's not that he didn't know this moment was coming. If you look in Deuteronomy, you can read all about Joshua being commissioned. Joshua was Moses' assistant. He knew one day that, that he would take over from Moses. But now the moment is actually here. That ever happened to you where, where you knew that something big was coming in your life and you were excited for it, you're preparing for it, but when it's finally there, you, you are scared stiff because now the moment's here, I need to do this. That's what Joshua's feeling. Imagine being Joshua. You are following, you're the following act to the greatest leader Israel's ever known, and you're being charged to lead the entire nation into a promised land that's still filled with enemy nations. That's what Joshua's facing, and he's afraid. How, how do we know he's afraid? Because there's a common refrain in these verses, isn't there? The Lord speaks to him. In verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, only be strong and very courageous. Verse 9, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. It is a pivotal moment. Joshua is afraid and the Lord is calling him to be courageous. Okay, okay but, but listen. God is not just saying... Joshua, man up. Man up, Joshua. Be strong. Be courageous. Look inside yourself and find the inner strength of Joshua and go into the land. No. No, in fact, God is saying just the opposite to Joshua. He calls Joshua to have courage instead of fear, but he's not calling him to look inside himself. Instead, God gives Joshua three reasons why he can have courage. Three reasons why Joshua can have courage. And Before we look at these three reasons... Briefly today, let's just pause for a moment, and, and I just want to ask you this morning, kids, adults, what are you afraid of? In your life right now, where are your fears? Where do you need courage this morning? Listen, our situation is vastly different than Joshua's. But the Lord's words to him in his fear are the words that we need to hear this morning in our fear as well. Where are you tempted to be afraid? Where is courage needed? Let's listen to what the Lord tells Joshua in this moment. And, and what we're going to see is three reasons that, that Joshua can have courage, but also three reasons that we can have courage in the fears we face. So, so first, we can have courage and Joshua can have courage because of the promises of God. Because of the promises of God. We can have courage because God is faithful to everything He has said. Now we saw in verse 2 that God commands Joshua to go into the land that He is giving to them. Now again, we should picture enemy territory here. We, to go into the land is to go into opposition, is to go into battle. And on top of that, the people of the land are clearly stronger than the Israelites are. I mean, they clearly have the advantage, and you're, and you're talking about military strength. So this, this, is not, this is not an easy command. This is a fearful command. Go into enemy territory where all these nations are stronger than you and where they're going to try to kill you when you come. 
But look how God comes behind that command with a promise in verse 3 and following. He says, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. Notice he said, I have given it to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. And then look down to verse 6. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people, you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You see, right after telling them to go into the land he is giving them, God assures them that he has already given it to them. And what does God base that in? He he, he bases it in his promise to Moses in verse 3, and his promise to the forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob in verse 6. God is saying to Joshua, have courage to go into the land because the promise that I made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses, that promise still stands for you today. And what this means is that Joshua can go back to Genesis 12 where God promised Abraham the land and a great nation and he can say that promise is for me. He can go back to Genesis 15 and see that covenant God made with Abram and see that covenant is for me. And then as he looks forward into this land with all its enemies, he can know just as God has been faithful to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, I know he'll be faithful to me. God has always been faithful to his promises. He will continue to be faithful to his promises. Joshua can have courage because of the promises of God. And church, we, we can have courage because in Christ we are also in the stream of these promises. We, we are in the same stream that Joshua was in, the same stream that Moses was in. Listen to this. Galatians 3.29 says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So, so, so the promises God made to Abram, if you are Christ's, then you're one of Abram's descendants. And you are an heir according to the same promise that God made to Abram. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. You go back to the Old Testament, you see all these promises, they all are yes in Jesus. If you're in Christ, then the promises God made to His people in the Old Testament are, are yours today. We are in the same stream of promises. If you're trusting in Jesus' death, on the cross, His resurrection from the dead, for your salvation from sin, you can be sure that the promises of God are for you and that God will remain faithful to His promises in your life. So so again, what are you afraid of this morning, church? What, What fears are you tempted to have right now? Consider the promises of God this morning. Just consider them. God has promised forgiveness of your sins. They will never be reason for him to forsake you or to punish you or to condemn you or something bad to happen in your life. He promises forgiveness of your sins. God promises to work everything for your good. We'll, we'll never exhaust the, the, the sweetness of that promise. He works everything for the good of his children. God has promised you resurrection from the dead. That's a promise God's made to you. In the same stream of promises that He's made since Abraham on, God has promised that that when we die, we will rise again. God has promised us eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. These are promises of God that He has made to us. So, so, So when you have fear, when you're tempted to not have courage, think on the promises of God. Just meditate on them. Let them fill your mind and your heart and take courage and be strong because God has made these promises to you. 
We can have courage because of the promises of God. But not only that, we can have courage because of the provision of God. The provision of God. We can have courage because God has given us everything that we need. Look at verses 7 through 9 with me in Joshua. If you're not back in Joshua, you can turn there. Joshua 1, 7 through 9. It says, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. You see, God not only encourages Joshua by reminding him of the promises he's made, but he points him to the provision he has given. And that provision is his word. The Lord points Joshua to the law, to the Torah, to the scriptures, God's written revelation of his character and his will and his plan. And the Lord tells Joshua, meditate on these instructions day and night and follow it completely. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. Follow it completely. And this instruction comes with another promise. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. I want you to think about this for a moment. Okay, In the context of Joshua 1, when God promises Joshua prosperity and success, he isn't just promising general prosperity, general success, then you'll be really wealthy and happy, Joshua. No, he's promising success in taking the land. He's promising, he's saying, you will be successful in the mission I'm sending you on if you meditate on and follow my law. But this begs the question, how could the word of God possibly equip Joshua and the people of Israel for the military battles that are about to happen. Like, you don't open Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and see strategy for taking a nation. You don't don't see military plans in those books, do you? You don't don't see the things that you would think they need to know to have success in going against enemies. Why would meditating on the Word of God, have any difference in trying to defeat nations in military battles? It doesn't really make sense at first. What's the connection? Well, this is where we begin to see that the kind of courage that God is calling Joshua to have is not believe in yourself, Joshua. No, God is calling Joshua to believe in him. True courage is not inner strength, but it's dependence on God's strength. And nothing would teach this to Joshua better than meditating on and following his word. Think about it. By, by paying careful attention to the word of God, the law of God, Joshua would constantly be immersed in the truth that would sustain faith in God. He would be reminded that God is the creator. God is the Redeemer. God is the Promise Maker. God is the Savior. God is the warrior for His people. God is absolutely trustworthy. God provided Joshua with His words so that Joshua would constantly remember not to put his trust in himself, but to put his trust in God. And this is what would bring success in taking of the land. Not military prowess, but dependent trust on God. Joshua could have courage because of God's provision of His Word, which would which would meet his greatest need, which is, are you putting your faith in God? We, we, we know the, 
the line in the psalm, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. How would Joshua say that? How would Joshua feel that? It would only be by remembering who God is in his word. He doesn't trust in military strategy. He trusts in God. And church, we can have courage because God has provided us with his word as well. And we have a much, much fuller revelation than Joshua did. In the written word, we have a complete revelation of God centered on Jesus, the incarnate word. This word is what we really need. And here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing with your fears. Again, think back to your fears. Think back to where you're tempted to be afraid, where you need courage. It might not always feel like the word of God is what you need. You agree with that? Like, like you might be facing a situation where it doesn't really seem like the Bible has anything to say. Joshua was facing a situation where at first glance it didn't really seem that the Bible had much to say. The Bible is not where you turn for military game plans, right? But it's really exactly what he needed. It's really exactly what you need. No matter what fears you're facing, what you need is is not a game plan, not a how-to, but you need to remember who God is. You need to remember what God has done. You need to remember the promises of God with you. You need to remember who He is in Jesus Christ, that He's for you. You need your faith strengthened by the Word of God so that whatever you're afraid of, whatever you need courage for, that that you don't put your trust in anything but the Lord. That's true courage. And it only comes from the Word of God. God has provided this for us so, so we can have courage, we can be strong, knowing that God has given us His Word. So if you're afraid and you don't think the Bible is relevant to those fears and to what you're going through, don't believe that's a lie. The Bible is the most relevant thing in your life right now. You need to remember who God is and put your trust in Him. And only the Word of God can bring that about. So Joshua, have courage because of the promises I'm making you, because of the provision I'm giving you in my word. But finally, Joshua can have courage because of the presence of God, and we can have courage because God is with us everywhere we go. Two times in this passage, the Lord encourages Joshua to be courageous on the basis of his presence. At the end of verse 5 and again at the end of verse 9, he says, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Remember, this is the verse that Christoph heard, camping. Really, this is one more promise in the string of promises that God makes in this passage. But I want to set it apart here because the promise of God's presence is at the very heart of why Joshua can have courage. The Lord says to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And so a question we should ask is, okay, in what way were you with Moses? Again, we need to go back to our Bibles, this time to Exodus 3. Turn with me to Exodus 3. This is the account of God's call of Moses to deliver Israel from Egypt. Read with me, beginning in verse 7. Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I 
that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. The Lord said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You see, when Moses was called, he was also reticent to go, afraid to go. And the Lord promised him, I will be with you. He promised his personal presence to Moses. And over the course of the events of the Exodus, we see that God was with Moses in such a way that that the presence of God became more precious to Moses than anything else. You know, later in Exodus, they're at the mountain. God has been with Moses. He has delivered them. They're on Mount Sinai. And Moses actually enters into the manifold presence of God on Mount Sinai. And he's there for so long that the people of Israel think he's dead. And so they, they decide, let's, Moses has died. We don't know what's going on with, with the Lord anymore. Let's, let's worship a golden calf instead. And so the people carve this golden calf and worship this calf. And the Lord tells Moses what's going on. And he tells Moses he's going to wipe them out and to start all over with him. But Moses intercedes for the people. He says, Lord, spare them for your name's sake. And God relents. But listen to what God says in Exodus 33. Just listen to this. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, the land I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But listen, but I will not go up among you. I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The Lord essentially says, you can have the land, but you can't have my presence because of your sin. The land's good. I'll send an angel, you can take it, but, but you don't get me. And this is where we really begin to see the distinct blessing of God's presence. Because look how Moses responds in verse 15. Moses says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. How shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. You see, Moses had learned that the presence of God with him was much greater than anything else God could give him. For Moses, the promised land without the presence of God was just land. It was just land. It was God's presence that mattered. God's presence that he wanted. God's presence that was the sign of his grace and blessing on him and Israel. And Moses would not move till God assured him that his presence would go with him. And now in Joshua 1, God says to Joshua, Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will be with you wherever you go. He is assuring Joshua, I'm not just giving you the land. I'm giving you my very presence. I will be with you. I won't turn away from you. I'm for you, Joshua. And the way that you know I'm for you is that I will be with you. So don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. Be courageous. Church, the Lord told Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But you know what? The Lord is telling us this morning, just as I was with Joshua, so I will be with you. I want you to turn with me one more time in your Bibles, this time in the New Testament, Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. 
In Hebrews, the author is encouraging a church that is suffering for the gospel. They seem to have particularly been experiencing poverty because of their allegiance to Christ. In Hebrews 13.5, the author of Hebrews actually quotes this promise from Joshua. And he says, in Hebrews 13.5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay, first just realize that as clearly as possible, the author is saying, God's promise to Joshua, that's for you. He said to Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. He says to you today, I will not leave you or forsake you. God is promising this to us. He's promising His presence to all who are in Christ, all who put their faith in Christ. He has promised us that He will not leave us or forsake us. But second, look how He applies it. He says, says, keep yourself free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. What's going on here? How does this relate to Joshua? How does this relate to fear? How does this relate to your life? Okay, the, the people in Hebrews, like I said, they were experiencing poverty. They are experiencing suffering. They are experiencing persecution. Their fears were coming true. And it would be tempting to look to the things of this world for security, to look to the things of this world for, for a sense of stability in their life. But he, says, he says, don't love money. Don't love things. Don't love what you don't have even as you suffer for the gospel because God has said, my presence is with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. What he's saying is that if God is with you, what else do you really need? What is there to be afraid of if you have the presence of God? What is there to be afraid of? You see, we read Joshua 1 and we can be tempted to to hear God say, don't be afraid. The things that you're afraid of, they're not going to happen to you. The things you're afraid of will not happen to you because I'm with you and you're going to have good success and prosperity wherever you go. That's not what Joshua 1 is saying to us. God is not promising us that the things we're afraid of won't happen. Think about those fears. What are you afraid of this morning? What, What are you afraid could happen to you? Those things could happen. Those things might happen. The things that you're afraid of very well could happen in this life because we are called to suffer with Christ for the gospel. But, but God is saying, don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Whatever happens to you in this life, at the end of it, you're going to have me forever, my presence forever. We don't need to be afraid because we have what we really need, what we really want. The the, the deepest desire in our hearts is the presence of God Himself, and we have it in Jesus Christ. He is God with us. He has come to us by His death and resurrection. We are brought into the family of God, and we have the presence of God by His Spirit now and in the new heavens and new earth forever. God is with us. What can man do to us? What fears could ever impact our lives in such a way that we, that we say, all is lost. Because we have the presence of God Himself. We have the very presence of God in Jesus Christ. And so, so church, we can be strong and courageous because God has promised us His presence both now and forever. We can say, I will not fear, what can man do to me?
when you enter into a, a uh, this time of prayer this morning and bring bring those fears to the Lord and 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 bring those places in your life that you need courage and 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 consider the promises of God. Consider the promises of God. Consider the provision of God's word and consider the presence of God that is with you in Jesus Christ. Just give those fears up to Him. Give those concerns up to Him. And say, Lord, whatever whatever You bring into my life, I trust Your promises. I, I know You will give me enough in Your Word, and I know that Your presence is with me. So I'm going to trust You. I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to follow You. I'm going to obey You. I'm going to persevere because of Your promises and Your provision and Your presence to me.